0: Welcome to the first episode of Coaster Redux. My name is Eric, and I'm a lifelong roller coaster enthusiast, but up until lately, I've been kind of a lazy one. Through high school and college in the late 90s and early 2000s, I was a full-on coaster nerd. It was the boom time of the coaster wars when every park was trying to outdo the next by building them taller, faster, and longer, and I couldn't get enough. Then I entered the working world, and I went on a lengthy hiatus, only visiting parks every few years. During the pandemic, I started following the theme park industry again through podcasts and social media. I watched incredible-looking new roller coasters being delayed over and over again, and I kept saying to myself, why not me? The word redux means brought back or revived, so join me on this journey as I take a deep dive and revive my roller coaster fandom and embark on an epic road trip to hit four bucket list parks over the course of one week. I've never done anything like this before, but it's time to get back out there. I know as a roller coaster fan that one of my favorite parts of the hobby— Is getting the reaction of somebody coming off a ride they've never ridden before. That's what I want to share with you. And with that, I officially welcome you to my new podcast, Coaster Redux. bar's hands up high off, dispatch ready go Coaster redux So before I start talking about that road trip, I want to set you up with some context on how I got here This is going to be a different kind of roller coaster podcast. It's going to be part trip report, part on- ride experience, part ride review and all storytelling. I'm going to dig deep and tell you my roller coaster story from how I became an enthusiast and eventually conquered my first looping coaster to my thoughts on some of America's most elite attractions operating today. So join me on this journey as I hit the road to experience some of the best roller coasters out there, starting from the beginning. I grew up in the Boston area and in the early 1990s, when I was starting to come of coaster riding age, I basically lived in a theme park vacuum. Not that that would have been much of a problem because I was scared to death of roller coasters initially. After some family trips and some early school trips to some of the local parks like Riverside, now Six Flags New England, and the long-defunct Whalem Park, I took a liking to some of their small wooden coasters. Rides like the Thunderbolt, the 1941 Figure 8 at Riverside, and the similarly sized Flyer Comet at Whalem. I wasn't interested in going bigger, and I definitely didn't want to go upside down. My younger brother was fearless, and he would happily hop onto any steel coaster that was still too much for me. He went to our local public library and brought home some inspiration. America's greatest and the world's greatest roller coaster thrills in 3D. A pair of VHS documentary films that featured on-ride POVs of some of the best coasters of the time. Magnum XL200 at Cedar Point, Steel Phantom at Kennywood, Kumba at Bush Gardens, Tampa, and Desperado in Las Vegas. The new inverted coasters like Raptor at Cedar Point and Batman the Ride at Six Flags stuck with us the most. We thought the idea of riding a coaster with the track above our heads looked completely bonkers. Maybe there was something about watching those videos that motivated me to conquer my fear of going upside down. They showed me what a big roller coaster looks like, and what to expect, and that helped me build confidence. I know a lot of other coaster enthusiasts who grew up during the same time who cite these videos for contributing to their lifelong obsession. So my first time going upside down was not on a roller coaster, but in another unlikely yet awesome place, Space Camp. Yep, I went to Space Camp. The dream of every 90s kid who watched Nickelodeon and saw those ads about an experience that was out of this world. Before flying a mock space shuttle mission, we had to go through a number of training exercises to learn about every aspect of America's space program. It was there that I conquered the multi-axis trainer, which was essentially a free-spinning gyroscope, and the five degrees of freedom chair, in which we experienced, one at a time, the five degrees of freedom, side to side, frontwards and backwards, pitch, yaw, and roll. They also had a 3D motion flight simulator that went upside down. It was the perfect combination of peer pressure, me not wanting to be the only kid who didn't go on the upside down stuff, and the relatively small size and speed of these experiences that made them perfect stepping stones. That spring, on two school trips, I got to ride my first looping coasters. The first was the Black Widow, an arrow shuttle loop at Riverside, followed by the Corkscrew at Canopy Lake Park. While I was proud of my accomplishment getting on these rides, the roughness and headbanging on them made me question whether this whole going upside down thing was even worth it. At the end of that summer, we took a family trip to the national parks of the Southwest. I'm talking about incredible sites like the Grand Canyon, Zion National Park, Bryce Canyon, and Mesa Verde. All of those spots were beautiful, and I still remember them to this day, but at the start of the trip we flew into Las Vegas to visit my parents' longtime friends and, interestingly enough, former ACE members who lived there. My parents told them that my brother and I were budding coaster enthusiasts, and our host could not have been more excited to take us to ride all the roller coasters in the Vegas area at the time, including Manhattan Express, now known as the Big Apple Coaster at New York, New York, Canyon Blaster at Circus, Circus, and Desperado. At that time, the tallest and fastest roller coaster in the world, depending on which marketing person you asked. I remembered watching it on the world's greatest roller coaster thrills. It was huge. So we're in my parents' friend's house outside Vegas and my brother and I are getting ready for bed. We're sleeping on the floor in the living room and I'm freaking out. I don't know if I can handle desperado. I mean, I've only ever ridden some small wood coasters and a few upside down coasters. I think this is too much. The tallest coaster in the world? I mean, a 225 foot drop into an underground tunnel? No, that's ridiculous. But I was committed and my younger brother was so ready. So the next morning we piled into their light blue two-door Ford Explorer with my brother and I riding in the trunk and headed for Prim Nevada and Buffalo Bill's Hotel and Casino. The ride was breathtaking. It was visible from all around the casino. That drop? Can I handle it? One way to find out. We walked into the mostly vacant casino and bought our tickets. There was no line to give me a second to think. Here goes nothing. So I rode Desperado. I had a death grip on the grab handle. I had my eyes closed on the first drop. Did I enjoy it? I think it was still too much for me at the time, but it was definitely an accomplishment to walk down the exit ramp alive. We piled back into the Explorer and headed back towards the Strip. Next stop, New York, New York and Manhattan Express. I didn't know anything about this roller coaster. It was brand new that year. Approaching the hotel from the Strip, the red track on the roof of the casino was mesmerizing. I remember watching the taxi cab themed trains rushing through the track. The ride is huge too, not as big as Desperado, but still a big ride. I remember boarding Manhattan Express's train, lowering the lap bar, and then thinking how great it was that the over the shoulder restraint raised vertically up and down, so it would lower to my shoulder height and my head would not be beaten up by any rough track work. We left the station, and for me, this ride was magical. I loved it. There were two big drops, a smooth vertical loop, then that heartline roll into a half loop. Maybe the brand new Togo track was actually smooth. Maybe it was rough and I didn't know any better. It doesn't matter. For the first time, I had a number one favorite big kid roller coaster. I loved Manhattan Express, and I couldn't wait to ride more. Then we headed to Circus Circus and rode Canyon Blaster. It was okay. Arrowhead banging still took place through the corkscrews and transitions, even though this was one of their newer rides. But wow, in just one day, I'd actually ridden two of the rides featured in the world's greatest roller coaster thrills, and not in 3D, in real life. My fear of riding big roller coasters was starting to fade. I was starting to really enjoy this. One thing was for sure, I needed more. The next game-changing ride came over the course of that winter, when we took a trip down to Orlando to visit family. My brother and I pleaded with my parents, aunts, and uncles to take us to Busch Gardens, Tampa, and they did. There were two roller coasters there that we absolutely had to ride. Kumba, featured on America's Greatest Roller Coaster Thrills, the Bolliger and Mabillard sit-down coaster with seven inversions whose name means roar in the African Congo language, and the newly-opened Montu Inverted Coaster, Hey, we were finally going to get to ride one of those. Upon entering the park, we headed all the way back to ride Kumba first. Hey, they weren't kidding on the video. This coaster really roars. That B&M sound was like nothing I'd ever heard, and music to my young ears as I sank into the comfortable bucket seat and lowered the padded over-the-shoulder restraint. Two minutes and 54 seconds, 3,790 feet of track, and seven inversions later, my coaster enthusiast life changed. What was that? A smooth... Forceful? Smooth? Looping roller coaster that was smooth? And that zero-G roll? Was that airtime on an inversion? Wait, what, and it was smooth? There was no headbanging? I have to do this, again, and again, and again. Unfortunately, that desire to ride Kumba over and over again led to me missing out on riding Montu that day, because the ride went down for a mechanical issue as we were heading over to it, and it was fast approaching time to leave the park. I would leave Bush Gardens that day with one of the greatest roller coaster experiences of my life, but much to my chagrin, I still hadn't ridden an invert. What I did take away from that visit was an absolute obsession with B&M. These are without a doubt the Rolls Royce of roller coasters, and I wanted to ride more. I hoped someday we would get something like this closer to home. Fast forward to the summer of 98, one that would continue to shape my coaster enthusiasm. We went to Riverside early in the season and I finally got to ride my first inverted roller coaster, the Mind Eraser Vacoma SLC. I remember it being pretty smooth and loving the free-flying sensation. The park also introduced the Hellevator S&S Turbo Drop that summer. What a phenomenal name for a drop ride. That thing scared me to death and it was the last ride we rode that day. I was also lucky enough that summer to visit Kennywood. My father's family lives in Pittsburgh, so I was able to finagle a visit there. I love their three wooden coasters but the Thunderbolt still sticks with me for its unique layout, airtime, and laterals. Then there was the Steel Phantom. Even at that point it was my favorite ride in the park despite having ridden Kumba and learning how smooth a steel coaster could be. I remember that my brother and I found that riding in the front of the train was pretty smooth and we enjoyed the drops on the first half of the ride while finding the inversions tolerable. I guess at this point I was growing not to be afraid of the big stuff. Around this time, the internet was really starting to take off, and I created my own little webpage called Theme Park New England. I had photos, stats, and reviews on all the coasters and parks in the region. And as I got to visit other parks, I added a section for those as well. I really enjoyed putting my thoughts and opinions on roller coasters out there, even if not that many people read them. Summer of 99, I was between my sophomore and junior years of high school. I got back to Riverside early in the season, and towards the end of the summer, as we often did, my family took a road trip. We went to Niagara Falls, and we were set to visit Syracuse University as I was starting to look around at colleges. Of course, 16-year-old me was trying to get a theme park visit squeezed into the trip. Because we were at Niagara Falls and stayed on the Canadian side, I was lobbying hard for Canada's Wonderland. My parents just kept saying, maybe, and we'll see. They were pretty coy about things like this. My mother does not do roller coasters at all, but my dad does. He grew up in Ohio, and after we left Syracuse, they let the cat out of the bag. We were not going to Canada's Wonderland. We were going to Cedar Point. Yup, Cedar Point, America's roller coaster, the Holy Grail for every roller coaster enthusiast. My brother and I could hardly contain our excitement. Heck, they had a whopping three rides on America's greatest roller coaster thrills in just that one park: Raptor, the B&M Invert, Mean Streak, their massive wood coaster, and of course Magnum XL 200, the first roller coaster to break the 200-foot height barrier, which was widely considered to be the best coaster on the planet at the time. Plus, the newest ride in the park back then was Mantis, the B&M stand-up. I had seen pictures of that ride online and loved the color scheme. That night, we pulled into the hotel at the beginning of the Cedar Point Causeway. I don't think my brother and I slept. The next morning was picture-perfect weather, and we drove across the Cedar Point Causeway and saw that skyline for the first time. Oh man, there's Raptor, and Mean Streak, and Mantis, and Magnum. And of course, Power Tower dominated the view as the highest object there at the time. There is no park anywhere that can build anticipation like Cedar Point. We walked into the park and the coasters were running test trains. For some reason we walked past Raptor. Maybe it wasn't running yet, but Mantis was. I got to hear that iconic B&M roar for the first time since riding Kumba two years ago. Mantis was sending test trains through the course and I stood in amazement looking up at the massive yellow and orange loops. Time to ride. I loved Mantis, probably because it most closely reminded me of my beloved Kumba more than any other ride in the park. Next we did Mean Streak, which was pretty alright, then Magnum. Having Desperado and Steel Phantom under my belt, I was no longer scared of these hypercoasters, and wow did Magnum deliver. That's a serious airtime machine. I liked it, but I was still a B&M fanboy. Then came Raptor, my first B&M invert. The hype was all worth it. It was smooth and intense. Maybe more intense than Kumba, but I was still stuck on Kumba as my number one. There was something about the zero-G roll on Kumba that Raptor just couldn't duplicate. All told, we rode each of those top four roller coasters four times. This was a weekday after Labor Day, so crowds were light. We rode every other ride in the park once. What a day! What a rush! I couldn't wait to get home and put my Cedar Point review up on my website. So that winter, like any 90s coaster kid, I was religiously following ThrillRide.com from the IMAX in my school's computer lab and our Gateway 2000 at home. At the time, the website was the go-to place for ride reviews which were well-written, with great photos of every must-do attraction out there. More important than the ride reviews, however, was their wild rumors and random notes section. This was where everybody went for their roller coaster and theme park news. Screamscape was also popular at the time, but I always loved the way Thrill Ride presented their information, with Bob Coker's incredible talent for conversational writing that made you feel like you were right there with him. Anyway, the turn of the millennium was shaping up to be the best year ever for new roller coasters and theme parks. And then, it happened. A that's new, alive. New that commercial was on loop on the Boston Airwaves as Riverside Park was transformed into Six Flags New England. That same year, Giaga Lake would become Six Flags Ohio and Rhino Aventura Six Flags Mexico. Six Flags New England would be opening three new roller coasters, Superman Ride of Steel, an Intimate Hyper Coaster, Flashback, a relocated Vacoma Boomerang, and Poison Ivy's Twisted Train, a Zera Family Coaster. The Hellevator S and S turbo drop would add two combo towers which would launch riders up as well as down, and be rebranded as Scream, a triple tower complex. I was pumped. New coasters coming to New England, but there was just one thing. Six Flags Ohio was adding Batman Night Flight, a B&M floorless sit-down looping coaster, something similar to Kumba, and while I thought Superman looked good, I wanted that. Who was intimate anyway? I knew they built Demon Drop, which I had ridden at Cedar Point, and that crazy 400-foot-tall vertical coaster Superman the Escape at Six Flags Magic Mountain. The articles I was reading online showed Superman Ride of Steel at Six Flags Darien Lake, which had been built the year before. Wow, those trains look tiny. Stadium seating? That looks cool. But it's probably going to be like Magnum at Cedar Point, which was fine, but I wanted me a zero-G roll. I wanted me some Kumba. So the day after I finished my junior year, shiny new driver's license in hand, my friend and I headed out for my first visit to Six Flags New England. I was going to check out all the new rides and document the transformation on my website. I just wish we got that B&M. Upon arriving at the park, Superman towered over everything. Wow, what used to be a short, oval stock car racetrack was now DC Superhero Adventures Land. And the theming was beautiful. The bummer? Superman was not open yet. Oh well, Mind Eraser, here we come. We were in the queue for Mind Eraser, and Superman started running test trains. Maybe they're going to open it. We stepped into the brand new immaculately landscaped queue. The iconic John Williams Superman theme was on loop through the sound system. It was incredible for building anticipation. The first trains carrying guests ascended the 208-foot lift hill, then roared overhead in that infectious spaghetti bowl. They sounded different from any steel coaster train I'd ever heard. It wasn't that cool whoosh sound of an arrow or coma, and it definitely wasn't the B&M roar. It almost sounded like a wood coaster, kind of radley. After about a 30-minute wait, we finally boarded those sleek new Intamin trains, the exact same style that still operate on Millennium Force and the two other supermen in the U.S. today. Super open. Minimal restraint. This'll be fun. I liked Magnum. It's basically the same size basically the same thing. Wish we got a b and 5,400 feet of track, two minutes and 35 seconds later, we'd experienced a 225-foot drop into a tunnel and eight ejector airtime moments. I was shocked. What had just happened? This ride was so forceful, and the airtime, otherworldly. I'd never experienced airtime so powerful and sustained. Magnum had nothing on this ride. I never thought a hypercoaster could be this good. I mean, those transitions in the spaghetti bowl where you get airtime while turning was something completely new. I was hooked. This was the first time since Kumba that a roller coaster had completely blown my mind. It exceeded my every expectation in such a phenomenal way. I was speechless. New England had, for the first time, a true powerhouse roller coaster in Superman, and I was beyond happy to have it at my home park. The rest of the park got some great improvements as well. The overall look and feel was dramatically upgraded with better landscaping and theming throughout. The Cyclone, the park's larger wood coaster, got new PTC trains to replace the fiberglass unpadded Morgans. That year, the ride ran the best it ever did because it had the padded trains and they had not yet reprofiled the first drop. Unfortunately, those heavier trains would ultimately lead to the ride's undoing, as they wore out the track work much more quickly, and the ride would become almost unbearably rough in the coming years. Flashback, the Vacoma boomerang was an upgrade compared to the Arrow shuttle loop it replaced. In the end, I was happy with what Six Flags New England had become. Maybe someday we would get a b and although I certainly still love me that big red Intamin. I would spend the next four years in college in Connecticut. I still maintained my website and actually bought a dot-com for it and moved it over from the free hosting platform I originally used. I had a part-time job so I could afford web hosting, albeit a pretty small amount of data. But my site wasn't that big a deal, and it didn't really get too much traffic. Park visits would become less frequent, and I would stay in the New England area pretty much exclusively during this time, with one fortunate exception. I found myself back in Orlando for family vacation over winter break that year, and I got to visit another newly opened park, Universal's Islands of Adventure. My brother had gotten to visit the park the year before, and all I heard from him was how great the Incredible Hulk was. He didn't know going in that it was launched up the lift, so that really took him by surprise. I was beyond psyched to get back on some new B&Ms. I hadn't been on one since Cedar Point a couple years ago, and Islands had two, well, really three of the best in the Incredible Hulk and Dueling Dragons. Walking into the park, the quality of theming and detail was mind-blowing. You're immersed in every single land, and Universal continues to lead the way in this area today. We rode Dragons first. That original queue was breathtaking. So long, so spooky, and air-conditioned. I went back and forth on which I preferred. The fan favorite was always fire, but by the end I preferred ice because it had my holy grail element, the zero-g roll. Those near-misses were some of the best moments on any roller coaster because of how unique they are. The Incredible Hulk was my first true launch coaster up to that point, and the sensation of acceleration was something I really enjoyed. Somehow that zero-g roll after the launch didn't have that magic of kumbas, but the ride was still fun, and I loved riding some new B&Ms. At this point, any roller coaster ride for me was such a treat because I would only go to a park once or maybe twice in a given year. By this time, I was really starting to hone in on what my taste was in rides. Superman was my number one by a mile. The airtime blew my mind and I was still stuck on Kumba, which was my strong number two. It was in my mind a perfect looping coaster, a powerful layout with the most perfect zero-G roll that was buttery smooth. I so badly wanted a b and at Six Flags New England, and that winter, I got it. Rumors started circulating online that a new roller coaster was coming to Six Flags New England for the 2002 season, and it was later confirmed that in fact a compact b and floorless would be the park's next addition. I was psyched. I had to cover this on my website. A b and in New England? right next to Superman. This was going to be epic, a phenomenal one-two punch for the newly flagged park. I don't remember how I got connected with him, but I ended up finding another enthusiast who lived close to the park and who would drive by and send me photos of the construction during the course of the process. I would post those updates to Theme Park New England as they came in, and I would notify Thrill Ride and Screamscape about those updates, and they would link to my page. During the process of construction of what would become Batman the Dark Knight, My little website was the go-to place on the internet for news on the new coaster. Traffic on my site ballooned, and I was swiping my card more than I would have liked to keep it online. I was a freshman in college at this point, and I was so excited to be part of keeping the enthusiast community informed on an upcoming roller coaster, especially my dream B&M. I had to keep it going. As opening day for Batman approached, I was trying to figure out how to get up to Six Flags to ride the new coaster. I mean, I'd been faithfully covering its construction throughout the winter, and I needed to put photos in a review up on my website. I didn't have a car, and none of my friends were into roller coasters enough to want to drive the two hours up to the park and pay for admission. Then I got my answer in the dining hall's daily newsletter. A group of students were putting a trip to Six Flags New England together. We would carpool up to the park and visit on opening day. I couldn't email them back quickly enough. I was going to ride Batman the Dark Knight on its first day open to the public, This was real coaster journalism stuff. A week later, I was off. New digital camera in hand, it was time to experience New England's first B&M. So about the ride itself. I had watched it grow via the pictures sent in by my new correspondent. It had a super steep lift hill and a sharp twisting first drop. The color scheme was unique with the purple track and blue rails. It was the most compact B&M I had ever seen. The height was 117 feet with five inversions over 2,600 feet of track. There was a vertical loop followed closely by a dive loop, a swooping turn through the center of the first loop, then that zero-G roll followed by two interlocking corkscrews. Short ride, no mid-course break, but I was psyched for it. What could be a better compliment to Superman than a tight floorless with all of B&M's best elements? Entering the park, I booked it to Batman. There it is, a B&M at my home park. Yeah, it's not huge, but watching those four-row trains snake gracefully through the layout was something I'd only seen at parks far from home. Gone was the B&M roar, which at this point was reduced because the boxy spine of the track was being filled with sand to minimize noise. This was one of the first B&Ms with this treatment. The landscaping was pristine, and the shiny new paint glistened in the morning sun. I settled into B&M's comfortable padded seat and lowered the shoulder harness. The floor dropped away and I was off, climbing quietly up the lift hill which did not have the loud clacking of the older rides. I was whipped down the first drop into the vertical loop, dive loop, then that magical zero-G roll. It hit as hard as Kumbas, and it was at my home park. Two interlocking corkscrews followed, and I was back in the station. This was great. It was perfect. Was it the best B&M out there? No, but it rounded out the lineup at Six Flags New England at the time. The park had a world-class hyper and a solid B&M looper to balance things out. I put the reviews up on my website, and I was content, except that there was another roller coaster in New England that I still had not ridden, even though it opened the same year as Superman. In 2000, Lake Compounds opened Boulder Dash, the highly praised CCI wood terrain coaster that was built into the side of a mountain. It flew under my radar at the time because of all the hype surrounding Superman and later Batman. In the fall of 2002, the same year I did my first rides on Batman, I did my first solo park visit. I was craving the rush of a new roller coaster, and hey, my website was about New England parks, and there was this glaring omission in Lake Compounds. It was a fall Saturday morning, and I packed up my digital camera and headed for the park. Lake Compounds is America's oldest continually operating amusement park. It was owned by the Kennywood Corporation at the time, and their passion for quality was immediately apparent. The park is small but stunningly beautiful. The lift hill of the Wildcat Wood Coaster is perfectly placed above a bell tower with a lone carousel horse at its peak that is visible when entering the park. To the right from the gate is Zoomerang, to this date, the most enjoyable Vacoma Boomerang I've ridden. Around to the back of the park is Boulder Dash, and this is a beautiful ride. The first half of its wood track is mostly hidden from view because it follows the mountainous terrain up and down the hillside that's covered with trees. The second half of the ride is located right along the pathway that runs along the lake, with bunny hills and a trick track placed almost within reach. I waited in line and rode in the back for my first ride. Wow, this ride literally flies through the forest. It has a strong combination of laterals and airtime on the trip out. So much is thrown at you so quickly that you barely have time to process it. Then it turns hard to the left and you're thrown to the right in a nearly unbanked turnaround. The return trip to the station is pure airtime, one pop after another. The final drop before the brakes puts a smile on your face for the ride's photo. Boulder Dash is an absolute joy. Airtime, laterals, stellar visuals, and an out-of-control feel combine for an unforgettable experience. I rode multiple times and I actually thought the best rides were in the front. The PTC trains with well-padded benches and ratcheting lap bars offer supreme comfort. My last ride was after dark, and a night ride on Boulder Dash was next level. This is a world-class roller coaster and my new number one wood. And hey, look what a stacked lineup New England now has. It took a few years, but as more enthusiasts made their way to New England, our one-two punch of Superman and Boulder Dash put our formerly sleepy region on the map. For several years in the mid-2000s, Superman was widely regarded as the best steel coaster on the planet, and Boulder Dash was the best wood. I would graduate from college in 2005, and go on to start my career in the maritime industry. I was wholly focused on my new profession, and roller coasters went very much to the back burner. I went years between theme park visits without realizing it. My coaster-riding flame was still there and smoldering, but not quite extinguished. Join me for the next episode when I document the few trips that I did make during those gap years, which would ultimately put me back on the path to where I am today. That's next time on Coaster Redux. That's a wrap for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please help me out by reviewing, sharing, and subscribing. You can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Coaster Redux. Thank you for listening to Coaster Redux. Until next time, enjoy the ride.